0: Welcome to the OEME Talks Podcast. I'm your host, David Petro. Normally, we feature the voices of those who will be giving talks in our webinar series, but what we're doing now is featuring some of the preview interviews of the featured and keynote speakers from our upcoming OEME 2023 conference in Toronto on April 27th and 28th. If you missed it, check out last week's episode about the day one speakers. But this episode, we'll be hearing from our featured and keynote speakers from day two of the conference. So let's get started with our 8.30 time slot. And although normally we only have one featured speaker per time slot, on Friday at 8.30, we have two. So let's start with Heather Wark.
1: My name is Heather Wark. I live in Thunder Bay, Ontario, and I do a lot of things, as most people do, I think, these days. I'm a teacher, a researcher, I'm a creator, and I also do a fair bit of curating as well. I'm a mother a spouse, and a dog lover. That's me in a nutshell.
0: I'm curious about the curating. What do you mean by curating?
1: Well, I think as teachers, we're often curators, right? We try to find what we think is the best stuff and bring that together to put together like a cohesive package. But we didn't make it all ourselves. We just know what we think will be really great. And we just, you know, adapt that and and utilize it.
0: So yeah, I think as a teacher, uh, being a curator is probably one of the top skills that that uh, uh, we need to hone for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely do a fair bit of it, but I also think, um, and that's actually as we get into the session a bit more, what the session is about is actually about helping teachers to get the knowledge they need to be a, a, a creator of their of their content, so that they can so that they can create the educational experience that they need for the learners that are in front of them.
0: And that seems like a perfect segue to talk about your featured session at OME 2023. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, I think I actually, if it's okay, I am going to backtrack just a little bit more and talk a bit about where I come from first, because I think it'll make more sense for people. And that is that I work closely at Lakehead University with Dr. Alex Lawson, and lots of folks in Ontario will be familiar with her work, particularly her her book, What to Look For, and the Student Continuum. Of numeracy development for addition and subtraction and multiplication and division. And for folks who aren't familiar with those, you can certainly Google them and find them online. And so these, these continue were developed through her research, which I was a part of as a master's student. And we subsequently have traveled around the province and shared that work in a bunch of different school boards and in a bunch of different capacities around the, across the province and so that's sort of what brought me i think to oami. so um, while we were traveling around the province, you know, sharing those continua we heard over and over again from educators how valuable it was for them to see student mathematical development in a drawing like that in a in a graphical representation. and of course, like any graphical representations it doesn't capture all the nuances, but it does give teachers the opportunity to kind of see how things might fit together. And while we were doing that, while we were traveling around, we were also still working the day job at home. So Alex and I both working at Lakehead university, working in the education department, teaching teacher candidates. And as part of that work, we read the book by Susan Empson and Linda Levy called Extending Children's Mathematics Fractions and Decimals. And when we read that book, We noticed, we saw right away the connections between what they were seeing for teaching fractions and decimals as being a continuum, being able to put that on the continuum. And so we did that. We took their kind of research and mapped it out onto a continuum that we thought would be helpful for teachers. And that's kind of where the session will start, is mapping student fractional ideas onto a developmental continuum. So the session title is Knowledge is Power, Four Things Teachers Need to Know About Teaching Fractions Through Problem Solving That Can Transform Student Understanding. And I go on to list those in the the write-up there, and those being problem types, number selection, fractional key ideas, and teacher questioning. And I guess the spoiler alert is that there is a fifth Critical understanding that teachers will need to know, some knowledge, and that is the developmental continuum of how student ideas about fractions grow.
0: So I feel like is is five things all that's needed, or are we just now that is this just now the tip of the iceberg?
1: I think these five things will get you off to a really good start. I don't. I'm not going to put a full number on something, for sure. I'm sure there's a lot more uh, that go into it. But I think, you know, when I'm working with my teacher candidates, for example, and we're we're looking at how to how do you teach fractions, uh, I think these five things are going to get us off to a really really strong start. So, for example, we're going to look at those instructional things that we were just discussing. And the first thing, according to Empson and Levy, that has to occur for students to understand fractions is that they actually need to create the fraction. And so this is really different from how I used to teach fractions, where, depending on the grade, I might have maybe shown a drawing, maybe shaded with a circle with half of it shaded and, and introduced a half that way. Or I might have begun by giving out like fraction manipulatives or making fraction kits. And when I first read this in the book, I was a young mother at the time, and it made perfect sense to me that the students needed to like construct the fraction. They needed to really understand it by making it. And so now I was wondering, now the job is as a teacher, like, how do we know what kind of situation or problem what kind of numbers do we use to create the environment where the students will make this fraction? And it reminded me of a post by Dan Meyer, a blog post from a few years ago, where he talked about um, teachers needing to create the headache, and then the math is the aspirin. And I feel like this is very similar to that. As teachers, we set up the situation, we create the headache, and the the math. The creating of this fraction is actually the aspirin and that's kind of where it starts. And it maybe sounds a bit complicated, but when you actually break it down, when you really look at at it up close about how many problem types and like kind of what numbers you would use, there's actually just a handful of problem types and a fairly small selection of numbers that you would use to make a really big impact for a student success.
0: Okay, so we look forward to seeing you in person at OME twenty twenty three and giving us a diagnosis, so that we can uh, figure out what the correct what the correct amount of aspirin is when it comes to fractions. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Heather, thanks for talking to us, and we'll see you in April. Thank you. That is Heather Wark talking about her featured session at eight thirty. And she'll also be doing a breakout session at 1215 on Friday where you can go into more depth with her about fractions in a more intimate setting. Our second featured speaker at 8.30 will be Kathy Marks Kerpan.
2: My name is Kathy Marks Kerpin. I'm a former teacher, which is the best part of my description of who I am, in my opinion. Uh, former uh, district consultants. And I'm currently an associate professor at the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education in Toronto, where I teach math education courses in the graduate program. And in addition to teaching my students, which I love, I also enjoy doing research and, and facilitating research with teachers and students in schools.
0: Now, you say former classroom teacher, but I would say that you're still a classroom teacher at this point.
2: Absolutely. But sometimes people differentiate between the two and I always want to make sure that that's included and that's valued.
0: And and sometimes students who are adults are very different uh, than students who are children.
2: This is true. This is true. But you know what? It's, it's, it's interesting because I talk a lot with, with my students about the fact that no matter who you teach, you know you need to allow to be taught by who you are teaching. If you leave a situation where you have taught something. You should also leave thinking about what did they teach me? So it's always sort of a give and take. And it's always, you know, the teacher learner combination, I think.
0: Okay, now you are one of our featured speakers at OME 2023. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your featured session.
2: Well, first off, I just am very excited and honored to be a featured speaker at OME, So thank you, OME committee. That is just wonderful. I'm really looking forward to it. My session is entitled, It's Not Them, It's Us, Providing Access for All Learners in Mathematics. And so this session is going to, we're going to explore how can we promote and honor diversity and engagement in mathematics in practical ways. And in addition, thinking about all of this. When a student does share and engage, how do we ensure that they feel that their ideas are heard and valued? So for, for this sort of piece, you know, I feel that the concept of how to value ideas and honor diversity and thinking needs to be taught to our students as well, right? That, that, that how do you value someone else's idea? And, and in some cases we need to teach this very explicitly. Uh, we need to explore how uh, voices are, are taken up, ideas are taken up in math class or why they're not taken up, especially when students are collaborating in groups. And we need to help students cultivate that kind of learning and culture when they're working and collaborating in groups.
0: So when you say practical way, do you mean like in terms of being having you know diverse ideas as well as still hitting the curriculum or... Uh, Do you mean something else?
2: I'm looking at it in terms of strategies. As a teacher, how can I ensure that all kinds of engagements are valued in my my classroom? How does that happen? Because we all have sort of preconceived notions, perhaps, of what engagement might look like. And just ensuring that all students have the opportunity to engage in a way that allows them to share their thinking and their understanding of concepts.
0: So I'm wondering, you know, there, there may be some, especially maybe new teachers who are not so skilled at taking that engagement or, or whatever may happen in, in what students are saying and, and use those as teachable moments. And thus they might be a little bit more apprehensive in, you know, letting the conversation go in that respect. How do you address that, that sort of thinking in, in your, your teacher candidates?
2: Well, the first, what what is important here, too, and, and I think, you know, allowing students to share their thinking in diverse ways. And sometimes I, I'll tell them, you know, we're all a work in progress. And sometimes the ideas that they're sharing might not be very clear. It might be difficult for us to understand exactly where they're going with this. And I say, you know what, there's no issue in, in taking a student aside and saying, you know, can you go over that with me again? Because I want to learn more about what your thinking is. So, or as you're circulating in the classroom, have some conversations with students, especially if you're a beginning teacher, have those conversations one-on-one with students, get some clarification, and then when you're in the whole group, invite that particular student to share, you've already have some sense of what they might say and what their idea might be, so it it's, it's might be less intimidating. The other piece that I want to sort of stress in the session that I'm going to present is How do we ensure that all students feel that they can participate and that as us as teachers, that we value diverse examples, diverse ways of engaging? You know, just because a student doesn't raise their hand doesn't mean they're thoroughly reflecting and thinking about the content. So how do we reach out to those students and ensure that they can share? It might not be in front of a whole group. They might not feel comfortable. So what are the ways in which we can create a classroom culture where students feel safe and participating, but also have other options to share their thinking.
0: Okay, and you are going to be doing a breakout session as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yes, this session is What and How Do You Think? And it is looking at ways in which we can help our students, our K-8 to students become strong mathematical thinkers. In addition to sharing what they think, engaging students in thinking about how they think, and becoming metacognitive in their thinking ideas and in their tasks that they do. So they become aware of those thinking strategies that they're using. And this will also be a practical session as well.
0: Okay, so we are looking forward to seeing you in person at OME 2023 in April. Thanks for talking to us today. Thank you. That was Kathy Marks-Kirpan, the second of our Friday 8.30 featured speakers. Her breakout session, How Do You Think?, will be later in the day at 12.15. And just a reminder that during the time slots that we have featured speakers, we also have approximately 20 other sessions that you can choose from as well from our regular speakers. Up next, we will all gather together to see our Friday keynote, Rochelle Gutierrez.
3: I just greeted you in Raramuri, which is my ancestral language. I'm joining you from the ancestral and unceded territories of the Peoria, Kaskaskia, Piancasha, Weah, Miami, Mascoutin, Ottawa, Sauk, Miskaki, Kickapoo, Borowatamek, Ojibwe and Chickasha nations. I pay my respects to these original stewards of our lands who are continue to be in connection to these lands even after many have been forcefully removed. I'm a professor at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, and I work in mathematics education, where I have been engaged with pre-service teachers and mathematicians for the past wow, 27 years.
0: Time does fly, doesn't it?
3: <laughs> it does.
0: Now, I wonder if you could just fill me in a little bit. Uh, I notice, um, even in your Twitter bio, you refer to mathematics. x. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
3: yeah, that's that's math that's Mash. Mathematesh. mathematesh is a version of mathematics that I argue can help us rethink about our position in this world, where we are the younger brothers and sisters on earth, and where we recognize that our more-than-human relatives are have been here for millennia, doing forms of pattern and structure and relation that have actually informed the mathematics that we do as humans. And when we think about the kind of ethics that could undergird the kind of mathematics that we do, we might expand that way of, of thinking about what counts as mathematics. And so I refer to that as living mathematish.
0: Okay, I think that's actually a perfect segue I think, into what you will be talking about as one of our keynote speakers. Can you tell us a little bit about your keynote session?
3: Sure. The session is called Towards Becoming a Good Ancestor in Mathematics. And really what I'm asking us to, I mean, it's an invitation. Uh, It's an invitation to recognize that at this moment of the Black Lives Matter movement with climate justice and trans and queer rights and Indigenous land rights and kind of everything that's been going on with respect to COVID and just, just the, this, you know, this moment that we're in where we're being kind of called into question to ask kind of what's the role of mathematics in all of this in terms of helping us to get free, to live a life that's healthy and sustainable, to think about relations with each other's and how do we think about being in good relations? And so I'm asking us to kind of pause and say, like, if we're in this moment where we have the opportunity to really question um, what is our role in this world and how do we think about mathematics, again, helping us instead of focusing on maybe competition and gatekeeping and doing well in careers that are STEM focused and thinking about technology and progress, but really saying, you know, yes, all those things are happening, but do we also want to think about? Participating in forms of mathematics that are healing and that are liberatory and that are creating new futures for us. And so, whereas previously I've talked about a socio political turn which engages issues of identity and power and thinking about kind of whose mathematics are we doing and who shows up as a mathematician, who's legitimated and who's not. This spiritual component that I'm asking us, the spiritual turn I'm asking us to take is really kind of thinking about how can mathematics help put us back together, help us find our ways home, help us think about the fact that we are both the same and different from each other, but that we're versions of each other in this world. And so again, if we think about mathematics as structure and pattern and relation, in what ways does that form of mathematics help us see the ways that we're actually all really interconnected? And how does that help us think about getting out of some of the violence that we've been experiencing really for such a long time? But I think that, that COVID and climate change and other things have kind of woken us up to being open to new ways of interacting.
0: So you're going to be speaking to, you know, a, a room full of mathematics teachers. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they have certain contexts that they are familiar with. But I'm wondering how you explain some of these ideas that you'll be speaking to our math teachers about how you explain them to, say, a layperson. Mm-hmm. How does that, does that change? Or is it the same kind of explanation? I
3: think I think for a layperson it's really just thinking about, you know, when it, when do we have opportunities to actually see each other, to see a version of of another person in us and us in them. So for example, you know, if if we're doing a math problem, oftentimes teachers will say turn to the person next to you and work on this problem and and maybe the goal, the implicit goal is that by working in a group, you're going to more efficiently come up with an answer, or maybe you're going to come up with more than one answer. And that's kind of the goal to think about all the different ways that people do things. But oftentimes the emphasis is on, is really on that product. What's the stuff that we generate when we're in these groups, rather than taking a moment to also think about what do we gain by interacting with somebody else? So how is the way that this person is doing this problem, not just another, another method of, of solving this math problem, another approach, but how does this person and the way that they think A a window for me onto another world, or in what way is this person approaching this problem in a way that reflects the way I see the world, which is kind of a, a window. I mean, sorry, is a mirror. And so, in what way do I see that this person is like a version of me, but yet they're not me; they're not the same as me. And so, when do we get an opportunity in a math class to stop and to affirm each other as, like, wow? I really like the way you did that. That's kind of like the way I was thinking about it. But then I did it this way, or then I focused on this thing. So, again, I don't think that these are things that require, you know, some of the major shifts in. You know, you don't have to come up with a whole new curriculum, but sometimes it's in these little moves that suggest like, what do we actually value in a classroom? Do we value that we see each other and that we're connecting to each other? I think oftentimes when we're in this mode of culturally relevant teaching, we're really focused as teachers on how do I give this student a culturally relevant experience? How do I give that student a culturally relevant experience? And we're not necessarily thinking about how do we get students to relate to each other, which it has a different feel to me. It's about attachment.
0: Okay. So now you are our keynote uh, Friday morning, but a little bit later in the afternoon. So you'll, in the keynote, you'll be talking to everybody in in at the conference. And a little bit later in the afternoon, you're going to be having a little bit more of a intimate session mm-hmm. as a breakout session. Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Yeah. So in the keynote session, I'm going to be saying a little bit about what do I even mean about being a good ancestor in mathematics. In the breakout section, I'm going to be saying, um, you know, what kind of ancestor what kind of ancestors are we all becoming as math teachers and so really centering on like what are our radical dreams for for our futures and how do we enact those futures now rather than waiting for somebody to give us permission or for there to be, you know, explicit examples that we can draw on right now and to be thinking about maybe what are we already doing that's trying to build towards those futures, but what, what concretely might be necessary in our spaces, what will it require from us in terms of maybe creative insubordination in our systems um, to make this happen. And so it's going to be a little more focused on the concrete these are the things that we're we're already doing and then what are the things additional things that maybe we can do and how do we even keep track of what kind of an ancestor we're becoming and when i say what kind of an ancestor we're becoming i say that from the perspective of not thinking that you're an ancestor after you're dead but that you're always becoming an ancestor everything that you do everything the ways that you move through this world is identifying yourself in connection to your, your ancestors and what is the kind of legacy that you want to live but you don't think about that as something after you die you think this is the future you're trying to create now to show that you're becoming a good ancestor
0: okay so we look forward to having you help us become a good ancestor (laughs) uh, in april and seeing you face to face at ome 2023 rochelle thanks for talking to us today
3: thank you for having me
0: That was Rochelle Gutierrez telling us a little bit about her keynote at 10 a.m. Her breakout session about what kind of ancestor am I becoming will be at 1.45 on Friday as well. And just as we did the previous day, we'll break for lunch where you'll have time to eat and check out the many exhibitors that will be in attendance. Up next, at 12.15, our next featured speaker will actually be a pair of speakers in Anthony Melli and Jason Toe.
4: My name is Anthony Melly. I'm a hybrid teacher coach in the Toronto District School Board. That means that I get to work with students half the time, and half the time I do professional development with other teachers, and I teach at Lakeshore Collegiate.
5: And I'm Jason Toe. I currently get the honour of serving as the coordinator of secondary math and academic pathways for the Toronto District School Board. So a lot of my responsibilities are supporting our teacher leaders, and helping to inform strategic direction with respect to math improvement in the district.
0: Okay, so we're going to talk about your featured session. But before we do, I'm curious how you guys decided to speak together. (laughs) We were invited to. (laughs) Ah.
4: But uh, no, I mean, whenever we get a chance to work together, I think we embrace the opportunity. Right, Jason?
5: Yeah, yeah. I really value what Anthony brings to like any discussion because he, he doesn't, I think he's a, he's an independent thinker. And what, what I appreciate about what Anthony does is that he knows not just the, the research end of things, but just also what it looks like on the ground. And sometimes those things don't always match up. And so you kind of have to go against the grain a little bit for the benefit of students. And so that's why when we get to work together, like there's a real like level of authenticity that that not only do I appreciate, but, you know, the people that Anthony is uh, serving in PD sessions, I think they find that, you know, like a breath of fresh air. I think, you know, Anthony, I don't know if people give that feedback to you, but I get that from people that speak of you.
4: (laughs) Well, that's very kind of you to say. It's nice to hear. So I guess I'll uh, say a few words. I, I certainly enjoy working with Jason uh, to really answer your question. First of all, he's one of the smartest guys I know, and he really pushes the agenda. So he, you know, he, he's he's a, a what shall I call him? A uh, he's a real social justice warrior, and he has some ideas of of things that are not just, and he is pushing the agenda forward so that we address them, and so it forces me to think a little bit differently about uh, things that that I have been doing and things that I am doing.
0: That is always important. And so you two are featured speakers at our OME 2023 conference. Can you tell us a a little bit about your featured session?
5: So our session is really focusing on assessment and how that plays into our thinking around our I would say like renewed focus on inclusion and equity in math. Anthony has always been thinking about assessment before and and during this period of, of de-streaming and a lot of questions go to both him and me in terms of what does assessment, what do we need to do to change assessment a little bit or to, or to tinker with it so that it provides greater access to a, a wider range of students. Cause right now, Well, as it as it used to be, we would we would sort students and and rank students and and really look at what students don't really know about the math, like as part of the assessment process. And in this new environment where we're really trying to embrace as many people to be participating in math in the highest levels of math, like we need to come up with different approaches and strategies to find out what students do know. And so, I think that our session is going to try to provide some more guidance that uh, to teachers in this de-streamed world now, uh, and focusing on inclusion, because I think people people are still trying to wrap their head around what needs to what needs to change a little bit in their practice in that regard.
4: So, I'm going to steal some some phraseology from our uh, from our description, but. Uh, we want to empower teachers to transform assessment, which is re- um, reinforcing what Jason just said. And specifically, I think at this point we're talking about creating leveled choice questions. So, the, oh, am I giving away too much here, Jason? Do you think I should uh, would I what I spill the tea if I if I gave away some? No, I think
5: this the I th- no, I think part of the point like this is like a teaser, right, Dave? So sure, let's you can spill spill the beans a little.
4: All right. So, so here yeah. are three of the things, three short strategies we're going to try to highlight. Uh, one is creating leveled choice questions and strategies for triangulating evidence of understanding, and then rewording questions to go beyond the algorithm, or in other words, asking tech-proof questions.
0: So, one thing that you kind of alluded to, I think Jason did. It's I think it's easy to miss for teachers, and it's uh, first of all, I like the the idea that you've you've taken the the uh, conference theme that empowering theme with teachers, but I, I like the idea of measuring what students know rather than what they don't. And I wonder if you'd talk a little bit about that. I think
5: that when we just even shift that approach, just even going from Looking for what students are not doing, and I've and I've been guilty of that too, Dave. Like it, looking when when you're trying to mark things, you're you're look you you know what a really great answer looks like, and you're sifting through what students are doing to see what they don't know, but or what they're what they've been tripped up on. And now it's a simple, just a flip of the switch. You're looking at things through an asset lens, and you're trying to see, you know, when when students are giving you an imperfect solution rather than dwelling on what's not there. We're looking at what is there. And and just that little bit, that that one little change goes from uh, uh, seeing students for knowing some of the math or a limited amount of the math and providing an opportunity for them to get their credit and move on versus not, right? Versus Oh, they only got one part of that solution, so I'm going to give them a one out of three or a one out of four on that question. So just a a, a simple flip of the switch and and changing our our mindset when we're looking at student work uh, is going to be like it, it does wonders. And so it's not just that, but then also some of those technical pieces and tools that we use to get the most out of what students have learned and demonstrating that for for teachers. Because at the end of the day, we have to judge them at some point. But allowing students to put their best foot forward and for us to see them from that asset lens, I think those two pieces together really will make a difference. And that's what our session is going to be about.
4: I think that's really well said, Jason. If I could uh, just put a little spin on that, Jason and I and a colleague of ours, Kareen Ryan, were doing a series of of PD a couple of years ago. And one of them we titled uh, Humane Assessment. And so we started looking at the kinds of traps that uh, teachers can fall into, uh, especially when we do some of our traditional testing and assessment. And so uh, you you sort of uh, were talking about this earlier. You're talking about, well, if a student sort of demonstrated or showed you that they could do one step of a problem, they might get one out of four. Sometimes it's worse than that. Sometimes the kid just doesn't know how to do the question and they leave it blank. And so now you've got no evidence of their understanding. And so, you know, we. and by the way, the the questions that they did that the most on were traditionally weighted the most. Uh, These were the heaviest weighted questions because they had the most complex solutions required, And uh, traditionally speaking. And so we just sort of looked at that and said, Really, are we are we talking about zero zero understanding or zero evidence of understanding? And 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 that's a problem, right? Like what we really need to do is find ways to measure what they do know. And when you get a blank page, you haven't measured anything. So you know it's just ways of strategies, ways of finding finding out what they do know, so that maybe they can show you that they have some understanding. Maybe it's not thorough, and and focusing on collecting that evidence
0: and you guys are going to be doing a uh, a related breakout session to this so that way people can dig a little bit deeper into the ideas that you'll be talking about so that's great to hear it gives us a little bit of a teaser and uh, we look forward to seeing you guys in person at OME 2023 in April
4: awesome looking forward to it
0: yep looking forward to it see you then That was featured speakers Anthony Melly and Jason Toe telling us about their featured talk. They'll also be doing a breakout session together during the last session of the day on Friday about building humane assessments. Moving on to our penultimate time slot at 1.45, our featured speaker will be Robert Deroche.
6: Hey, my name is Robert Deroche. I'm Métis from Ontario in French. I am currently Centrally Assigned Vice Principal, Indigenous Education with the Urban Indigenous Education Centre at Toronto District School Board. I live in Toronto. Uh, I wasn't born here, but I've lived here for 30 years. So this is where I work and I love and I play.
0: So can you tell me a little bit about the centre that, so the centre that you're working for is part of the the Toronto District School Board, but separate or how, how does that work?
6: yes so it's a center within the toronto district school board and our main we have several focuses that we work on one of our main focuses is to support the learning and well-being of first nation metis inuit students we do so by uh, supporting classroom teachers supporting students Uh, we have a student success team that works directly with students we have instructional leaders that work with the classroom teachers and the school We have community liaison and then we have cultures and traditions that we also support. We also support all educators doing the work of truth and reconciliation. So learning about truth to enact reconciliation.
0: Okay, so that sounds like a really important role. And I I imagine there, you have a lot of customers in, in the Toronto area that being such a big school board.
6: Yes, well, and Toronto does have the largest indigenous population in all of Ontario.
0: Okay, and you are going to be one of our featured speakers at OME 2023. I wonder if you could give us a little bit of an idea of what you are going to be talking about in April.
6: Okay, for sure. I'm going to be talking about holism or holistic approaches to learning and teaching, particularly to math, and I'm going to talk about storytelling. So uh, for me, I think about uh, the stories of math. I think about, Times that I've been as a learner in a classroom and as the teacher or lead learner. And I think about some of those stories around math that are good, some of those stories that are not so great. But I just also think about the ways in which stories connect us and that everyone's stories matter because the ways that we have stories and experiences in our lives sort of engages the way that we think about engaging in math or not. But then I also think about looking at the interconnectedness of math to us as people and then to the world around us, around the land, the air, the water, the plants, the animals, and thinking about how do we engage students in our own spirit, and our heart, and our mind, and our bodies when we think about learning in math.
0: So can you give us an example of how that, uh, like a specific example, how that connects to math?
6: It does connect to math if you start to think about indigenizing and decolonizing math practices, right? So for me, I think about many times math connects with the mind, sometimes the body, but it doesn't think about the feeling, the heart of math or the spirit of math. And so I think about how do we tend to students' spirit and their hearts so that we're attentive to the way they're feeling, the way their spirit happens, how it makes them feel engaged. I think about the natural math that we find in plants and in the land. And you think about the rich opportunities for numeracy and for geometry that we can find in math.
0: Now, the title of your session is called Learning Math from the Land, Art, and Environment, Holistic Considerations, Stories of Math, Storytelling, and Holism. And I'm I'm just curious about the holism is spelled with the W in the brackets at the front. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
6: So holistic or holism is usually spelled the H-O-L-I-S. However, I use a W because some people that I've learned with and worked with put the W in front because what we're really centering is the idea that people bring their whole selves into learning And if not, what are we gonna do to create conditions that so learners bring their whole selves into the learning?
0: Okay, and you are also going to be doing a breakout session. Can you tell us a little bit about your breakout session?
6: Well, the breakout session is gonna be a little more intimate. It's gonna be looking at the relationships between identities, between story, and between maths. And participants, I'm gonna actually ask people to do a little bit of art making and storytelling so that people can actually sort of embody this idea of how we can engage in the storytelling around our own stories in math and how that connects to our learning and understandings of math and how it might actually contribute to disengagement in math. It will be very hands-on. This one will be a lot more hands-on. And then as we are doing the hands-on learning, it's thinking about how do we then co-create spaces that uh, invites students' voices in and their identities and communities to be part of learning.
0: So we look forward to seeing you face-to-face in April, and we're happy to have you as a featured speaker, and uh, I look forward to talking, meeting you face-to-face as well. So uh, thanks for talking to us today, Robert.
6: You're welcome, I look forward to it too.
0: And we'll see you in a couple months.
6: All right, take care.
0: That was featured speaker, Robert DeRoche. Though his feature talk will be close to the end of the day, his breakout session on storytelling and holism will be first thing in the morning on Friday. Our last featured speaker of the conference at 3.15 will be Chantelle Clark.
7: Well, my name's is Clark and I'm a vice principal. I've been a vice principal for two years in Grand Area District School Board. So I work actually in two different schools right now as a VP. One in St. George, Ontario, and then one in Paris, Ontario. Before that, I was a science department head at an independent school, and I taught grade 6, 7, 8, 9, and 11 there for about six or seven years. So my background is kind of science, science and math, and so that's a little bit of my uh, teaching history. And I'm really excited to be part of uh, the conference this year.
0: Now, this may be a selfish question of mine as, as someone else who I'm, uh, this is my starting my fourth year as a vice principal. Uh, I'm curious how your, uh, your work as a teacher informs you as a vice principal.
7: You know, it's funny you asked that question, because I, I was actually teaching this morning for the first two blocks of the day. So that's something I try to stay connected to. We were doing some community building and just kind of a restart since, you know, it's a new year. So we were doing a little bit of that with the class and looking at some social emotional pieces and how they can maintain really good relationships and friendships. So I would say I just love to be connected to the classroom and really understand what it- is still like to be a classroom teacher. So visiting lots of classrooms, helping to team teach, helping to coach teachers, that's just one way that I can kind of stay connected and get a sense of, you know, it's report card season. So how are people feeling? You know, do you want that staff meeting thrown in there? Probably not. You probably want some time to write report cards. So just keeping a good pulse on that and just the culture of the building for sure.
0: And you are one of our featured speakers at OME 2023. Can you tell us a little bit about your featured session?
7: So my featured session is called Building a Culture of High Expectations Using Story. And so this is really a journey I want to take people on that started this past year. My principal and I had discussed about ways in which we could learn from the land and really get students outside and connect our different teachers with experienced people in the board, whether that be literacy coaches or math coaches or um, special education coaches, and see how getting outside could really help students learn. And so with that, I, I thought I would start to document that. And so I've used a lot of different technology. And so I wanna share people with people how I'm using different technology to really document our story and our process and our ups and downs and our highs and lows. And I also want to share with people how we've brought in our um, Indigenous Education Department and using culturally responsive pedagogy and how that's connecting to social emotional learning for kids, not only in math, but across subject areas, and talk about universal design for learning and how we can create entry points for all learners and a great way to start that is by by going outside and exploring outside so there's a lot there I know Um, I'm still shaping it all together because it is a journey um, and we're in it right now but I I'm really looking forward to sharing more and and getting some teacher voices and some student voices out there too in the session so that people can hear from them directly and not just me which will be great I think.
0: So I'm curious, I like the idea of using the outdoors and I'm trying to understand how you're connecting the idea of story to that. Is that the story of what you're doing or you're using story of something in nature in your outdoors to connect with your lesson?
7: So I would say story here kind of represents like how not only I'm documenting the process as like an administrator, but how teachers are documenting the learning. So that also kind of goes into assessment. And so what are they seeing outside and what are they doing outside with their lessons that they're then bringing back inside, whether it be like patterning or counting or like some STEM pieces, um, looking at habitats and you know where creatures live and in what space they live in, that sort of thing. So it's a little bit of both. It's looking at how teachers are documenting and assessing. And for me, um, the big piece was would be using technology to really try and heighten that and reimagine what that looks like. And then for me as an administrator, celebrating celebrating the work of like the staff and the students who are engaging in this and are kind of on this wild ride with us as we try this for the first time and see how see how it goes.
0: Okay, and you're going to be doing a breakout session as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
7: Yeah, so my breakout session is, again, it kind of ties into the same thing as my featured session, but just looking at more practical examples of documentation and assessment and trying to make thinking visible in math. So I'm hoping to show specifically how using an iPad and some free Apple apps will really create some rich assessment opportunities in your classroom and not even necessarily in your your math classroom. I absolutely appreciate that's the focus, but a lot of these things you can take And use them in different ways. And I hope to showcase a lot of different examples and looking at connecting that to Harvard's Project Zero and how you can use some protocols and procedures there to really kind of bring out what students might be thinking in their head and get it down, whether that be through conversation or observations or documentation.
0: Okay, so that gives us a little bit of a glimpse as to what we will hear from you when we see you in person in April at OME 2023. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Chantel, for talking to us today, and we uh, look forward to seeing you in a few months.
7: Okay, thank you so much.
0: That was Chantel Clark talking about her featured and breakout sessions. Though her featured session is at the end of the day on Friday, her breakout session, which will be about more practical aspects of documentation, Will be at 3 15 on thursday so that wraps up our OME 2023 day two preview hopefully between last week's episode and this one that gives you an idea of what our featured and keynote sessions will be about but don't forget that besides those sessions over the two days there will be over 200 other live sessions and at the end of the conference on the friday There will be over 25 virtual pre-recorded sessions that will go live and be available for viewing on demand until May 28th. Now, at the time of this recording, full registration for OME 2023 is open only for those who have pre-registered, but full registration is open for everyone else on February 1st. For more information on the conference, head to ome2023.ca and to register, you can check out our MCIS registration site The link is in the podcast description. Next week, we'll hear from our featured and keynote speakers one more time as they all tell us what they remember their teachers doing when they were students that they either continue to do now or absolutely don't do. And if you missed our day one preview,
4: check out last week's episode. And in the meantime, stay safe.